I spent the last couple of weeks trying to figure out what to talk about in today's episode. Not because I didn't know what to talk about. Um, the problem is there's so many things going on and there's so many things to talk about that finding the one thing to sort of pick that's most important and discuss on the podcast, that's been the most difficult part. Um, I guess eventually I just decided to sit down and hit play and then see what happens. Um, shower thought that I did have today, though, while contemplating what today's episode should be about, um, was about critical thinking, um, and particularly dealing with, like I said, everything that's going on lately, uh, as well as, um, or I guess more specifically, um, the mRNA vaccines that they are coming out with, uh, this month. I, it is not my place to tell anybody anybody what to do and what choices they should make, you know, for their bodies. Um, So I'm not going to attempt to do so. I just, I think all I want to say is please do your due diligence. Um, There are lots of credible sources um, of information out there. And I would suggest that when you do go and try to research this vaccine and what it does and how it's different than a typical vaccine that has, you know, been tested and uh, FDA approved. Um, Use DuckDuckGo instead of Google. Um, You just get more options and then read, you know, do your due diligence and then decide what's best for your family on your own Um, uh, without being influenced by anybody in either direction, in either direction. I spent the greater part of today doing just that, and um, I'm not going to tell you how I'm, you know, how I'm going to, or what I'm going to choose to do in, in that regard, because once again, my intent isn't to influence people in either direction. My intent is simply to just reiterate the importance of informing yourself and making informed choices, no matter what circumstance or situation you find yourself in, um, if you catch yourself or you find that you are amongst the majority, um, it's always best to pause and reevaluate. There's always just something healthy to do in general. So um, I am not a medical health care professional. I just, what I've noticed is on social media, there's almost two different types of people. There are people who are saying, you know, if the government says it's safe, I'm taking it, you know, and, and they have the right to do so. And then, actually, I, th- I think it's fair to say there's actually three factions. There's, there's another faction of people who believe that the virus is some sort of mark of the beast or whatever, and so they are just vehemently opposed to it. And then there's a third group of people that are cautious, you know, they have questions, um, because of the fact that, you know, to date, there hasn't been a coronavirus um, vaccine that has been effective. Um, you know, people, this is being rushed um, as well. I mean, that's just, it, it, it's called Operation Warp Speed. Uh, so that should tell you it's definitely being rushed. Um, and you have to be mindful of that. And so I think to be cautious of 
you know, a non-tested vaccine. It's, it's, you know, I think that the FDA is supposed to vote, I guess, for approval this Thursday. And my guess is considering such uh, the amount of, I guess, reliance and dependence that people have on this vaccine being approved um, in order to, quote, get the economy going again, I, I would find it hard to believe that they wouldn't approve it. Um, but I don't think that that should be the only reason you choose to put something into your body. From what I, last time I, I, what last that I read, you know, was the clinical trials, it's just not enough time, you know, not enough time has, has passed in order to really figure out what the long-term side effects of something so new is right even just with the virus itself you hear health you know health representatives saying you know it's yes it's been about a year since we've known about coronavirus and even a year later there's still things that we're learning about this and so i think you can apply that same mentality to the virus from what i've read I'm sorry, to the vaccine rather. And from what I've read, you do need to take, it's more than one dose of this vaccine. Um, and even though they're optimistic that you might be protected should, should the virus mutate, that's not, they don't know that for sure. And um, you might have to take multiple doses, more and more doses, you know, to make sure that your body can, produce the necessary and needed antibodies um, down the road. And um, yeah, all I'll say is I, I don't want this episode to be just specifically on the vaccine. I just think that it's important that with anything that you should think critically and ask questions and be informed before making, you know, a decision that will affect your health, right? It's it's a cost cost risk um you know analysis. I just just think critically and ask questions. What I have noticed on social media is that people who do vocalize their concern about a corporation, right? Um big pharma, pharmaceutical corporation quickly putting out an untested vaccine and then just saying, yeah, let's just essentially blindly administer it to as many people as possible. Of course, starting with the population of people that need it first or that they say need it first. When a person goes, okay, but we have questions. Like, what are the long-term effects of this? What are the side effects of this? What I notice is other people now jump on that person's back and say, you know, what are you, a doctor, a, a medical professional? If they are telling us it's safe, you should just accept that. That to me is low key terrifying. You know, I, those of you who have been with me since the beginning of this podcast, you know, there, there are themes that always kind of repeat themselves throughout, right? It's important to me that individuals remain individuals rather than thinking like the crowd, rather than just blindly following the crowd. And when you see that herd mentality, right, where it's, 
you have to think what we think. You have to believe what we believe. And if you don't believe what we believe, and if you don't think what we think, then you know we're going to attack you, right? I've I've repeatedly on this podcast, you know, called for people to pause and ask themselves, why are we doing? Why do I do what I do? Why am I doing what I'm doing? You know, is it because of other people? Is it because other people are doing the same thing? And then why are other people doing the same thing? Ask questions, asking questions and thinking critically. These are important things. So when I see other people more or less jumping on individuals who dare question the status quo, I get concerned. I also get concerned when, this is a slightly different topic, but still more or less under the same umbrella, we are seeing individuals on the right, and I've spoken about this in previous episodes, we're seeing individuals on the right, or we were seeing individuals on the right being targeted and censored by social media. And they complained, and then I would watch and read what people, quote, on the left would say in response, and it's like, you know, good, like, you deserve that, you deserve to be censored, you deserve to be booted off social media, things of that nature, have your account taken down, suspended, whatever, right? And it's all fine and dandy when it's happening to one side, but what makes you think that the same thing isn't going to happen, quote, to the other side, and I put other side in quotes um, because there is no side. It's just we're all we're all in this together. That's just an illusion. The dichotomy is an illusion. But what I what I say is, what do you what makes you think this isn't going to happen to moderates to liberals? It it always gets tested out on one group first, right? One population first, and then they apply the you know the sentiment across the board. And sure enough, this morning. Um, there was something trending, I think it was called Stop the Left Censorship or something like that, and turns out (laughs) Twitter has now been censoring heavily people on the left, and their accounts are being taken down, and of course, when you go and you read through the comments, you have people on the right going, you know, how does it feel, you know, all the excuses that you made for, you know, big tech, when pages on the right were complaining about censorship apply that same sen- that same sentiment to you know whatever it is that you're complaining about today i don't obviously think that that's a good way to you know to respond but i understand and i can empathize you know with that response we really do have to be mindful i i want to be one of many voices eventually saying the same thing right? We're all in this together. It's not your Republican neighbor versus you. It's not your Democratic, you know, boss or your liberal grandma or your conservative uncle versus you. It is big corporations and the political cronies that are, you know, basically in their pockets versus the rest of us. They are called the 1% for a reason. If you aren't conscious of that right by now, that there is a very small percentage of people in this country and in this world that are really shaping society to fit their needs, please start paying attention. Every person that gets into an altercation or you know disagreement or 
you know, angry at another American who is in the same <laughs> demographic, in the same income group, you know, like the same class. Yes, they might have a different skin color than you or whatever. You know, they might be from a different part of the country. But every time you attack that person that's in the same, in the 99%, if you are not in the 1%, and I actually, that 1% is not even fair. I, I would argue it's 0.1%. If you are not in that 0.1%, Right. If you don't own a corporation, if you're not a multi-billionaire, right, you have more in common with your neighbor than you do with these tech CEOs, these tech giants, and things of that nature. So when you attack a person who is in the same demographic group. Right, the same. They're both middle class, or you, you're both middle class, or whatever it is. But one person just happens to be a Republican, the other person happens to be a Libertarian, whatever. Whenever you attack people that are quote equal to you, uh, especially financially, um, socioeconomically, um, you're only hurting yourselves. They benefit from that. The point one percent benefit from that. The scheme is divide and conquer. Okay, anything that happens to a an average American, quote, on the left or on the right is guaranteed is going to happen to their opposite. So long as they're within the same group, right? The one thing that I'm seeing more and more, you know, you, you have people that are out there saying, yes, they're, the lockdowns are great. They're not, you know, they're necessary. And I understand that. I, I do. I understand the necessity of a lockdown right now because people are refusing to, you know, wear the masks and they're refusing to social distance and they, they feel like, okay, well, this is our way we rebel um, at the state's overreach reach of power, okay? As a result, you now have, you know, the lockdowns that are happening. It feels like a squeeze. But once again, we're all in this together. I had a, an errant thought today when I was like in the laundry room. I looked at a bag of clothes that should have been dry cleaned, right? I think I went to an event back in February. I think I talked about this on the podcast. Yeah, it wasn't February. I think it was like late January, early February, right when all this started. And the suit, I had a little pantsuit that I wore, was still in the back, not dry cleaned. And I remember thinking today, seeing that suit and thinking, dry cleaners. Like, they're definitely being affected by this, right? Because if everything is shut down, if, you know, people aren't going to work, you're not wearing suits, right? You're not... Things that you would normally need a dry cleaner for, right? All of that has been shut down. All of that has been banned. Those people are being affected. And I I guess the reason why just dry cleaners popped into my mind is because, you know, you think about the people who are obviously affected. You have small business owners. I, I... 
every time I watch the news and I see salons getting shuttered, I think about, man, like, imagine if I still had my salon. Imagine if I was still a single mom, reliant and dependent on my salon to pay my rent, to pay my car note, to pay my bills. That is 100%. My, my, that was at a point in my life, rather, when I still own my salon, 100% of my source of income came from the work that I did with my own hands. If my salon was closed, I mean, I had my retail store, but what I sold in my retail store were hair accessories that could only be installed by licensed, you know, professionals. So if I were in, if I still had my salon and I was forced to shut down, how would I have been able to pay my, my rent, pay my car note, pay my credit card bills? I wouldn't have been. And honestly, in Southern California, living where I lived, it was already hard enough making ends meet as a small business owner. I made, I made ends meet, but it was, it was difficult. It wasn't, it wasn't easy, but I did it as a single mom. And to be perfectly honest with you, there were times when I, I go back and I look at pictures of you know myself, my girlfriends, when we we go out, and I remember looking at this one picture. I had this yellow dress on from like, what was that store? I think it was called, was it BB's, or it started with a B. It doesn't matter. But it was this beautiful like yellow dress that fit me like a glove, and my belly was like perfectly flat. This is after having a child, mind you, but I, I was, I had this, I'm still pretty slim, but my belly was like flat, like, like a six pack. And I wasn't working out, <laughs> like I looked great, but it wasn't from working out. Um, it was because I, there were some times, there were times when I just, I had enough money to get enough groceries for myself and my daughter, but not more than that, right? And sometimes I would, I had just enough. These are truths. I had just enough to make sure my daughter had enough food. And then I would just eat what she didn't eat. Right? I never went on food stamps. I never, you know, got any sort of help from the government. Because I guess in my mind, I just felt like, no, this is something I have to do on my own. And I will figure out a way to make ends meet. And that's what I did. And with, when you're self-employed, it's it's you're not getting a consistent paycheck so there there are months out of the year where you're gonna do really well and for me that was always the summer and um it was like a feast slash famine and if you own your own business you you get this you empathize with this there were months out of the year when you knew like okay like i'm gonna do well and and of course you also had your refund checks that you got from you know filing your taxes and you get your refund so you knew how to make that work right and so in the months that you weren't really going to be as busy you just had to tighten your belt a little bit right it tends to be closer to the holidays right because people are spending more money on gifts and you know things of that nature travel you just tighten your belt and that's how you made things work. Now think about we're having a shutdown, right? And probably for a lot of business owners is if you're not in retail, right? If you're not in the retail space, um, 
it tends to be you know a slower part of a slower part of the year for a lot of people and now that's shut down so how are these people and bear in mind we haven't i don't know how many months it's been since people have actually gotten a paycheck um not i'm sorry not paycheck gotten a relief check from the federal government it's been a very long time okay how are people supposed to make ends meet and i and i get that I I get that, you know, people, you know, they're passing laws saying you can't evict people. That but that's still not a good feeling to know that you're you owe rent to somebody. So you may not get evicted, but you still are you're owing. You're gonna owe. I mean the landlord isn't gonna say, Yeah, no, go ahead and you're just living for free. It's just accumulating. And there were times when I would kind of I had just one credit card because I was very you know I wasn't you know I didn't know a lot about um you know credit I just but I was very conservative about my debt right and I didn't know you needed debt to have good credit right backwards so I just made sure I kept my credit to credit cards to just one and I would use that in case of emergency now if I if this happened then I would max out my credit card by now. So then at this point, I would be I would have been forced cuz not only did it, it's not just my rent in my house, my my I had a two bedroom apartment, my rent was $2,300. Okay? Just my rent for my home and then you have a car note of $500. All right? And now I had a salon where the overhead just for the to rent a space was around twelve hundred dollars. Okay, that's not that's so I've got to earn all of that and then make money to pay other bills like my student loan bills, right? Like my electric bills, like my gas, my water, food. God forbid you actually want to have some fun. <laughs> Every once in a while. Insurance. At this point, if I were still a salon owner, if I was still an entrepreneur in that sense, I I would be terrified. I would be hopeless. I feel that. I feel that for... I feel empathy for a parallel version of myself that's going through that. I couldn't... It's not like I could turn to my parents for help. They're dealing with their own stuff. My mom, I'm sure, would have done anything she needed to do in order to make ends meet, but it would require her borrowing money from somebody else. My dad's not working. He's been sick for a really long time. So to just think, like, God, what would I have been... I I wouldn't have shut down. (laughs) I would not have shut down. Because that would not have been an option for me. I have to feed my child. I have to pay my bills. I was taught to be a responsible member of society. Maybe eventually I would have felt desperate enough to get on food stamps, but what does that do for your psyche? For your ego? For your sense of self-worth. As somebody who is college educated 
and an American living in the land of the free and the home of the brave, the land of opportunity, empathy. So when I go on social media and I see some people attacking, making fun of, dismissing the plights of business owners who are protesting, who are begging, let us work. Let us stay open. Do not close our businesses. And I see people mocking them, calling them idiots. It gives me pause. Maybe you're lucky enough to have been able to work from home and still you know, receive a, a, a paycheck. Good for you. That doesn't apply to every person. You don't know what these people are going through, why they're taking to the streets, why despite orders they are risking fines. They're saying, I cannot afford to shut down. I'm telling you right now without a shadow of a doubt, I would have been forced to stay open. I would have been forced to, you know, I would have kept my doors locked, <laughs> right? And maybe put up a sign that said closed. But then I would have texted my clients and said, you know, continue to book appointments. You know, I was lucky enough that my, my salon was a private, you know, it was a private studio anyway, it was a private suite anyway, and I'd rented it in my own, you know, uh, on my own. Uh, so it wasn't like a solar, was it called solar salon or anything like that? So I was 100% you know, self-sufficient in that regard, but I would have flouted the rules. I would have felt that I had no choice. If I was receiving a paycheck, not not paycheck, I'm sorry, if I was receiving a check from the federal government for, let's say, $1,200, okay, awesome. Yes, I wouldn't have had to, you know, $1,200 would not have paid my rent at all, but it would have at least allowed me to pay my car note, pay, pay some credit card, and then have, you know, groceries. Everything else you can kind of negotiate, right? You can call up, call up uh, the electric company and tell them what's going on, maybe arrange for a payment plan or something like that. If they had given people that, yes, it's not enough to take care of everything, but it's enough to coast. And if we had all been just given, people who needed it had been given just $1,200 a month. If you can give billions of dollars to corporations who then turn around and lay people off the moment the statute of limitation expires for them to be able to do that. I, I read an article about a restaurant who, they, as soon as they got $2 million, they shut down, kept the money, fired everybody anyway. How do you expect people to follow the law when the law <laughs> when the choice when the choice that you're given it's not really a choice it's a law it's a choice between financial destitution or breaking the law your local mom and pop store have to shut down right Remember, we still have some of those. Though they've been struggling, competing with Amazon, they're, they're still, you know, 
making it, right? With the whole shop local movement, or at least they were. Those are, have been forced to shut down, especially in California right now, okay? Because they're considered, quote, non-essential. But yet, huge multi-billion dollar corporations, they are allowed to sell non-essential items. And so when, let's say you used to be able to, let's just say you used to shop your your local, you know, deli, you know, your local bakery, they're forced to close, close rather, and then you're forced to order from a Whole Foods, right? Or I don't know how long this is going to take, how long this is going to keep, how long they're going to impose this, the lockdowns on us. But you used to go to your local toy store that was owned by somebody that you knew, right? I know people who own lingerie stores, right? But they own just a physical location. They spend a lot of money, you know, to be in high traffic areas. They're closed. They didn't have time to set up an online presence and presence rather and spend the amount of money that they needed to for marketing, right? It's expensive enough just renting a retail space. Okay, now you've been forced to close. Victoria's Secret is still open. <laughs> you were already competing against a store like Victoria's Secret. But now there's not even any competition. You're closed. But the big corporations are still open. They're still able to sell non-essential items. You're not. Or your neighbor isn't. They keep sort of mentioning how... People like Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg have actually made more money during 2020 than they have ever. And they never ask, they never state why. Well, it's because when you force people, right, to close their businesses and people need items, you force consumers to shop on Amazon. They were already struggling to compete against them and now they have no choice they, they can't compete against them unless you then spend the money to advertise through facebook advertise through instagram set up a shopify store that's giving these corporations money in a very short amount of time very quickly transfer of wealth and when i say that i would have risked breaking the law and stayed, and stayed open in order to work to make ends meet, understand that I would have been operating with the understanding that I would be risking getting myself sick, making myself sick. So I would be un- operating with that fear. But then it becomes a choice and a matter of just sheer survival, which is why we're seeing people 
react the way that they are. You want to talk about check your privilege. Right? That's what 2020 has been about. That's what it's been leading up to, right? Pausing and reflecting how you may be privileged. Pause and ask yourself before you point the fingers at these people. Where is this anger? Where is this passion? Why are they willing to risk life and limb? Why are some deluding themselves into saying that the virus isn't real? What would you do in that situation? What would you do in the situations I presented to you if you were a small business owner? If you're a restaurateur? You've put your life savings or the, you know, your family invested into your business. And now with no money being given to you, you're being told to shut down. But then you look around and you see Amazon doesn't have to shut down. Amazon isn't told that they can't deliver non-essential items. So now your clients and your customers, just out of necessity, are going to have to shop there. And will they come back? You don't know. DoorDash, Postmates, Uber Eats. Do the research. Restaurants who have been forced to use these apps have found out that it actually ends up not really benefiting them. A lot of them are just breaking even because of all the fees that these companies charge. But they're making a profit because people are being forced to very quickly get on the platform. Who's benefiting here? Really ask yourself, what's really going on? Who is benefiting? Why are people reacting the way that they're reacting? Calling them crazy is too dismissive and it's unfair. It keeps you, it's lazy. It keeps you from having to think. It stops you from being compassionate. It stops you from being empathetic. That's not a choice. You can't not pass a stimulus bill. All this other bullshit, like literally all they have to do in Congress is say, you know what, we'll deal with the other stuff, all the other fucking earmarks and all that other nonsense, screw that. Let's just do one thing. Give every American that needs it just $1,200 a month. That's all they had to do. The 12, in my opinion, $1,200 is, is little like that, but whatever. To me, $2,000 a month, why not? It's fiat. It's fiat money. I mean, shit, they're already fucking, excuse my language, they're already printing this shit. And you, if you could have, if they could have bailed out, they bailed out banks. You know, wait, they were too big to fail. And we're watching them bail out airlines now. Who are just going to turn around and use that money to buy out their competition. Watch. In the meantime, we have food drives, right? People who are waiting in line, miles long, in lines, miles long to get food. All they have to do is just say this one thing. Let's just pass this for right now. Make sure that until, whenever the fuck, if you want people to follow the law, give them an incentive to do so. This choice right here is not a choice. And if you if you have caught yourself attacking people 
who are saying, I'm going to continue to operate. Because in your mind, you think that that somehow makes you a better person. It doesn't. That, that to me, demonstrates a lack of empathy. You need to be able to put yourself in other people's shoes. We all do. We all do. You can't expect people to shut down their businesses knowing that they have bills and then not give them the money to make ends meet, to, to coast, to make it. As I'm sitting, I think about a hundred years ago, or close, when they, I, when I think the great, the stock market crashed, and they've had stories of people just jumping out windows because the, whether or not you want to accept it, there are people, there are a lot of people. There's a huge huge population of people whose identities are tied to what they do and how they earn to them that's that's their ego and yes ego is dangerous but it is what it is it's who they are you take away their livelihood and they start asking themselves what 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 reason who am i this is not the time to encourage people to have existential crises Have some empathy. Have some empathy before you go to cast the stone. Have some empathy. Somebody, sidebar now, switching subjects. Um, I saw, I responded to a, a tweet. Um, I was kind of scrolling through absentmindedly and I saw a tweet by this guy that I follow and who follows me, but I don't know the person, you know? Um, but all he said was, you know, I wish sometimes I could just leave my body. And I responded, hey, are you okay? <laughs> but to me, you read that, you know, reading in between the lines, that kind of reads like you're trying to die. I mean, how else do you define leaving your body? So I was like, hey, are you okay? He was like, yeah, no, I'm good. And I just, you know, sometimes wish, you know, I could dissociate from this body at any point in time or something to that effect. I don't remember exactly what he said, but it prompted me to respond by recommending a book by Ekna. Eshron, which I have mentioned before, probably months ago, but uh, it's called the the Upanishad, the essence of the Upanishads, and the Upanishads is an Eastern um, book of theology. But basically, what it does is it reinforces the concept that you are not your body, and obviously, something about what he said in the tweet. I don't want to scroll through to try to find what he said, but something about it made me think that he thought that he was his body. 
and I felt compelled to suggest that he read the book. Um, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Um, You're not your body. If you're interested in checking out my other podcast, The Dark Oracle's Guide to the Multiverse, in that, it may be hard to follow for some, it may not be. I might be excessively critical of myself, but I do try my best to try to break down why it is that I believe that we are living in a simulation, a futuristic simulation. Um, And it's not just me providing, you know, my thoughts, but I back up said thoughts with scientific research, um, theories from quantum physics and uh, philosophy and uh, Eastern theology as well. I think to accept the mindset, the ideology that all is material, this is all that there is, is so limiting (laughs) Um, and honestly depressing. I think a lot of people are very identified with the form that they see in the mirror. They think that that's who they are. And so when it starts to chip, right? When it starts to wrinkle, when it starts to crease, when it starts to age, when it starts to gray, you look at it and you think, I'm dying. I mean, you say that, I'm dying, I'm aging, I am old. And what's beautiful about Eastern theology, Eastern philosophy, why I'm so enamored by it, and I, we're finding that a lot of Western physics is actually starting to support a lot of the conclusions by, made thousands of years ago by Eastern philosophers and theology, um, uh, theologists, yeah, is um, you're not the form. There's a thing called ego. And I know we've all heard ego in the sense of, okay, that person has an ego, their ego is out of control. But what the ego is, is it's false sense of self that has been imposed on you by society. It's who you think you are. It's the entity that you believe you are. It's what you have identified with. And what I say that, what I mean by that is if your name is Tom Jones, right? You think I am Tom Jones. And so you pull from different experiences this identity that supports and bolsters up who you think this character Tom Jones is. What does Tom Jones like? What does Tom Jones dislike? What are his aspirations? What does he want from life? And then you live your life in such a way as to defend that persona, that identity. You're essentially an actor 
who is lost in its role. There are actors who perform a type of acting, it's called method acting, where they're giving a character and a description of what the character is, who their background, or what their background is, what they believe in, right? All of that, how they were raised, things of that nature. And then the actor loses their, their themselves in this new role and they become this new personality. While an act, a method actor does that in a short period of time, usually for a film, what I'm saying is we're all doing that. And instead of doing it across a short period of time for a film, we've done this throughout our whole entire lives for our lives, for this performance that is life. And so a lot of people will defend their personas, their, the, the identity that they call, quote, themselves when they look in the mirror, that face, that body, that is me. And to me, that reads like a sort of madness, which is what I love about Eastern philosophy. The book is called The Essence of the Upanishads. I recommend that you go check it out. Now, the reason why I think that that is madness is because the body is simply a machine. It is a vehicle, right? It literally operates on its own 99% of the time. I caught myself, I, I was lost in thoughts and I was looking for eye drops, right? And while I was lost in my thoughts, I set a command for my body to go to a drawer and pull out some eye drops. My body was in the process of pulling out the eye drops, but I, my brain, or whoever, my psyche, my consciousness, whatever label you want to slap on it, it's not my brain because the brain is a computer, so I misspoke there, but the the controller the operator of my body that's who you really are was like wait what am i doing in this in this drawer but my my body was already getting the eye drops out and that's when i paused and i was like holy shit that's crazy like my body was still in control and still operating on a command that my consciousness had forgotten it had given it that to me is just another evidence to me that I'm clearly just the operator in this machine. I think if you practice mindfulness and watch how your body reacts, you're, you're going to start to notice that certain times that dissociation between consciousness and body machine. And so when I say, when you look in the mirror, that is not you, that is just your vehicle. And to think otherwise as a type of madness is true. <laughs> it's because it is. Um, I call it a madness because it's just an inaccurate perception of the multifacetedness that is reality. There, there, there is a lot of information out there that deviates from what 
the collective, what the majority of people have been programmed to believe, right? You have scientists that are looking for consciousness and they think that it's relegated to just the brain. And so there are a lot of materialists that think that consciousness is just a trick, uh, an illusion, a mirage that exists only within the brain. And so they are looking for consciousness, for the soul in the brain. But it is that's a flawed ideology. It's a flawed perception. There are scientists that maybe with the same credentials as the scientists that present that ideology that perhaps don't get the same amount of attention that the you know materialists do who say and have been able to sort of show um, or at the very least theorize that the that consciousness cannot be found in the brain, right? And bear in mind that the, the materialists who do believe that consciousness is something that exists only within the brain, that it's just an illusion, that it's a phantom, those are theories as well. These are not facts. It's just, like I said in the previous episodes, it's just what can you get a collective of people? What can you get the majority of people to believe? If the majority of people believe one thing, that doesn't necessarily mean that that is the truth. That doesn't mean that that is fact. So the majority of people believe that they are the persona that they see when they look in the mirror. They believe that they are the identity that they embody and emulate um, every single day. Um, But that doesn't mean that that's true. And what I'm arguing, what I'm saying is that seek out information that that challenges that ideology. And why I call it a madness is because... It is in a way. <laughs> um, here's here's a, an analogy. Imagine you lived in a society. There was a there was a uh, Bruce Willis video game. No, I'm sorry, not video game. Sorry, brain fart. There was a Bruce Willis movie where people basically I forget what it's called. It might come to me, but people would upload their consciousness to more attractive versions of themselves, um, in like robots or whatever. And people knew that these robots were not them, that these robots were actually just representatives of them in the movie. But imagine if they didn't. Imagine that same story, that same um, premise, but people thought that they were the robots. So every time they looked in the mirror, they identified with the robots. That would be a sort of madness. And what makes it madness um, is the inaccuracy of it. They aren't, they aren't, really the robots that their consciousness have been uploaded to right but they have just been programmed to identify with said machinery and that is exactly what is happening and has happened within the society now i have spoken about parallel multiverses they are a thing uh (laughs) i think if you look through episodes that I did in the summer, I gave kind of stronger evidence of that, or I guess more sources for which you can go and do the research on your own, books that you can read by physicists and things of that nature. I just can't pull up the names right now because I've been so into, I think the last couple of months I've mentioned, I've been I've been doing deep dives into Osho. Um, but I think going forward, I'm going to go back and revisit. So I think in 2021, at least the earlier part of 2021, um, or going into 2021, that's going to be where my focus is going to be on. Um, I think we'll see. Anyway, um, 
but there are, you know, phys- physicists that have talked about, you know, the existence of, you know, parallel multiverses. In fact, there are companies right now in existence who are using computers, quantum computers, which operate on the premise of the existence of parallel multiverses. So that tells you that parallel multiverses are real and do exist. The majority of people don't believe that. That doesn't make it false, right? There's a small population of people, physicists, who know that there are parallel universes. And as a result, they are able to capitalize on that understanding. I believe the company, one of the companies that uses quantum computing and, you know, data pulled from parallel multiverses is called D-Wave. They're based in Canada. You can kind of do your own um, uh, search on them and read about them. So just because the majority of people believe, for example, that this is just the only world that there is, right, doesn't make it so. I think in the last episode, I read that quote from the Men in Black, where he said, you know, 5,000 years ago, everybody knew the earth was flat. Um, It's the same kind of idea, right? Everybody, what everybody knows. So everybody knows they are their ego, right? Everybody knows that when they look in the mirror, that body, that frail or strong or beautiful or whatever, casing is who they are. They know that. Right? You have some materialists and you know, scientists who, quote, know that consciousness is just an illusion and it can be found in the brain. You know, there are some people who think that once you die, or I should say they, they quote, no, I put no in quotes, they quote, no, that form is all there is. Right? But then there are scientists on the opposite spectrum within the same fields who know that nothing is truly solid. That even the fact that we think that things are solid solid, is an illusion. When you touch something, it's not actually solid. What you're, what you're experiencing is pushback, right? It's a repulsion. And in Japan, scientists in Japan have come up with light particles that you can touch, holograms, that when you touch them, they push back. So they should theoretically be right? Uh, uh, transparent, and you should be able to you know, touch them and uh, put your hands through them. But with technology, they have modified holograms now that you can actually touch and feel. Um, and that's going to be what we are essentially going to be evolving towards in the future, is more and more interactive technology, you know, made from holograms, uh, and things of that nature. So, if you ask the average person, if you right now took a survey of 330 million people and you ask them, you know, is there just one version of your body in existence? They're going to say yes, right? If you say, is, is what you're sitting on right now solid? Is the idea of solidity real? They're going to answer yes. And why are you even asking that? doesn't make it so. Just because you identify with the face that you see in the mirror doesn't make that you. 
It's just a vehicle. I argue you take it off. You exit the vehicle when you go to sleep while it recharges. Right? I'm trying to think of an analogy using cell phones to explain consciousness. You are the operator of your cell phone, but you're not your cell phone, right? So your cell phone has its operations. It does its own thing. And you, for the most part, aren't even remotely cognizant of the mechanics that go behind, that go on behind the scenes, right? You can't program worth shit. You don't understand, you know, you can't, you know, explain what the hardware does or what the software is for the most part, right? But you know that there's a small percentage of your phone that you do control, right? Your alarm, what apps you go into. But there's a lot of stuff that happens behind the scene that you're just not privy to. That is what your body is. You don't control your heart rate. It does its own thing. If you all of a sudden decide to focus on your heart rate, then things get a bit weird. <laughs> and you're like, ah, ah, this is uncomfortable, right? But for the most part, it operates like a machine because it is a machine. You were just the person controlling the machine. The reason why I know that you're not a machine is because of the fact that you can and you do at times dissociate from it, right? The way... Uh, in the example I gave you where I, I'd, I'd given the body a command, which was go in the drawer and get the thing. And then I forgot because I was daydreaming, right? And then the body was still operating. And then I, when I came to or came back from my daydream, I was like, wait, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> Excuse my language. Um, and then I, I was like, this is amazing. So it was on autopilot. We autopilot a lot. When we get in a car and we drive to work and you're lost in your thoughts and before you know it, you're home. That's an autopilot. You gave your car a command, you know, I'm sorry, not your car. You gave your your body a command and then it did its own thing. And then you kind of were free to daydream. Like every once in a while you'd come to and go, oh, okay, that person is about to cut, cut me off or, you know, whatever. But unless there's something that's a break from the norm, the majority of the time, most people are operating on autopilot. And that's, we do that for our bodies. And going forward, we are developing technology that's going to kind of replicate the same thing in our vehicles, in our car. Right? We're going to have self-driving cars. Right? You can sit at the wheel but and, quote, drive, but 99% of its functions are not going to be controlled by you. It's going to be a background operation the way your phone is a background operation. You don't control how it charges. You don't control... Sometimes, like, my phone, just, like, the light goes on by itself. Like, it just goes really bright and then dims by itself. I'm not controlling that. There's something probably wrong with my phone. Um, but, uh, but I'm not controlling that, and I don't know how to fix it. I can take it apart and try to reverse engineer it, but I I don't know, I didn't create, I'm not Steve Jobs, you know? But I think that when you have a lot of scientists who didn't create the human body and they're operators in the same way and they're trying to kind of reverse engineer things, right? They're operating 
you know, on guesses, the way like a person tries to reverse engineer technology that they have found. If you didn't create it, you don't know what it does or what does what or how what affects what. And so to kind of bring it back to the whole vaccine thing and mRNA, it's never as straightforward as companies and corporations want you to want it to seem, particularly when it's, you know, big pharma. There's always side effects to everything. I've, I've said this on just this podcast alone when I've talked about marijuana, you know, how taking too much of THC can cause side effects. Um, and people go, no, there's nothing. You can never overdose in marijuana. I'm like, okay, but you can. You can overdose in anything. Uh, and, and more importantly, THC affects people in different ways. Not everybody is going to react in the exact same way. There have been people who take, you know, like Snoop Dogg, who take copious amounts of, uh, smoke copious amounts of marijuana and nothing really, you know, their body seems to be adapted to it. And then there are some people who probably, if they consumed even half of the amount, would sort, would over a period of time would eventually suffer some sort of psych, psychotic break. a chemical you're altering the body right when you take things that aren't supposed to necessarily be in the body they're external and you put them in the body things happen right that's what a virus is it's not supposed to be necessarily in the body particularly once it mutates and your body's not used to it it doesn't you know it's got to get used to it and so things happen antibodies get created or you know, infl- you you trigger an inflammatory response, right? Things happen, so you can, you as a scientist can go and say, okay, well, I know that this virus contains this spike protein, and so if I can, you know, tweak just this thing in the body, right, to make it so that, um, that I can have the body, you know develop a immunity or antibodies against spike proteins, then voila, you know, that's the solution. But you're, you didn't create the body. You're just sort of trying to reverse engineer things just because, you know, it makes sense on paper doesn't mean it's going to make sense in practice. And to say that things are perfectly fine and perfectly safe, um, is insane. <laughs> like nothing is perfectly fine and nothing is perfectly safe ever. You don't believe me. The next time you're watching TV, turn, wait for a commercial for a drug to come up. There's always side effects, right? And the reason why there's always side effects is because it's, we as humans are trying to, you know, tinker with a, a machine that we didn't create. I'll say that again. There are always side effects to man-created medicine because we as humans are trying to tinker with tinker with machinery that we did not create. I think that's the problem that is almost a, 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 I guess a, a step, you know, I don't know what I'm trying to say, a bone of contention 
um, a tripping stone uh, for a lot of scientists who are purely materialistic. If you don't believe that humanity was ever created, um, then right there, you're doing yourself a disservice and that ideology, that mindset is going to alter the way you operate. Do I believe... <laughs> is this a is this a, a creationist podcast? Absolutely not. Um, I think you can scroll through the titles of my episodes, my past episodes, to see where I stand in religion. Um, and I'm sure if you've been a regular listener, you already know, so I don't want to go back into that. But if you are just operating on this mindset of all of this just happened by accident, um, you're already, that's a stumbling block. That's what I was looking for. You're already setting yourself up a stumbling block. You're setting yourself up for failure because it affects your perception and the way you approach things, right? Looking for order in something that you think is random, you're not going to have the same, you're not going to take the same approach as if you are looking for order in something that you know was ordered, was created, manufactured, or whatever. So just bear that in mind. I'm not, like I said in the beginning of the episode, I'm not trying to tell people what to do. I'm not trying to tell people how to live. Um, I'm not trying to tell people what decisions they should make. I'm just saying think. Think critically and do your due diligence. There, There's articles on routers, R-E-U-T-E-R-S, written earlier in this year that kind of talk about the mRNA vaccine. And if you are interested in Eastern philosophy, if there's even a slight interest, I would really recommend starting with the essence of the Upanishads. That's U-P-A-N-I-S-H-A-D-S by uh, Eknath Eswarth. I'm destroying his name, but I'm sure if you type in uh, the essence of the Upanishads, he'll come up um, and give it a listen. Basically, thousands of years ago, Hindus came to the understanding or arrived in the conclusion. It's one of the world's oldest civilizations, also one of the world's smartest civilizations. We tend to discredit people who came before us as, or dismiss them as unwise and uncivil, but that's not necessarily the case. It's the way we, we view them the way a child, a teenager views their parents. They just think that adults are idiots or something like that, even though um, that's not necessarily, obviously, the case. While I do admire the way children view the world, you know, there's something to be said about the wisdom that comes with age. And bear in mind that, you know, thousands of years ago when these books were written, that they were working under different circumstances and with a different understanding and probably less removed from nature and the world than we are now. So there's a lot to be said about them. A friend of mine um, asked me to read 
think it's called the Book of Ecclesiastics. I could be wrong. Um, and I checked out like I think the first and second chapter. I'm not really a Bible person. Um, just I'm not. But the bit that I read, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, things of that nature. It echoed sentiments of what Eastern philosophers had had written about, right? Saying the same thing. And now you have uh, psychologists, neurologists who are saying that illusion, I'm I'm sorry, not illusion, um, free will is actually an illusion. And I've done a podcast on this a while ago too. Basically what I'm saying is it's worth revisiting a lot of my older podcasts. Um, if you don't want to, I, I'm definitely down to revisit them as well. Um, but yeah, um, there is, if you want a really quick read on free will or the illusion of it, there is a book by Sam Harris by the same name. I believe it's called Free Will, but let me pull that up really quickly because I don't want to tell you the same thing. Yep, it's called Free Will by Sam Harris and he does like a kind of a rough overview of it. But if you're really interested and want to do a deep dive um, on why free will is an illusion, um, another great course is, uh, it's called the Great Philosophical I accidentally uh, played the audible, which then cut up, cut off the recording. But anyway, it is uh, great courses. You can find it on Audible. It is by Professor Sean Nichols, and it is called "Great Philosophical Debates: Free Will and Determinism." Um, it's just an intellectual history. That's how it starts off. And then it starts to kind of delve into it. And when you're done listening to it, you walk away thinking, okay, very interesting. Here I was thinking that I was in control at some level and I'm not. It doesn't mean that we are automatons. In fact, in that same course, it tells you how what you do have control of is not free will, but rather free won't. And I've mentioned this before, but... Remember I mentioned about us all sort of operating for the most part on autopilot. What when you do what you do or how you exercise free will is by occasionally grabbing the wheel, so to speak, the proverbial wheel. And when your body wants to do something, you bring your consciousness to it and then you can decide whether or not to do that thing. But ultimately, to wrap things up. Your body is a vehicle. You are not your body. That being said, if there are things that you're going to be putting to kind of alter its mechanisms, you should be aware of what the side effects are and what impact it will have on said machine long term. You know, people should not be attacked for asking questions. You don't just blindly follow the herd. You don't.
blindly accept authority because of the fact that authority is usually just another human being telling you what you should be doing. And there's two things that are guaranteed in every human being is that an ego that is in control. So that person more than likely is operating on autopilot. The majority of us are. Gurji have talked about this. And two, imperfection. None of us are perfect. <laughs> every, every endeavor that a human sets out to create comes built in, comes with failure or imperfection built in. That's just a given. That's just an absolute given. So you can count on somebody, if they present something to you and they say, this is absolutely perfect. That's not them. That's their ego talking, right? And ego tends to skew reality. And then you can also count on whatever it is that they're presenting to you to not be invaluable and to actually be imperfect. And obviously comes with consequence. Everything in this world has a consequence. Anybody that's trying to tell you different, different is not being truthful. Think critically.